Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, a date has been set for the federal budget. We will continue to do whatever it takes to support Canadians and Canadian businesses. And we have a plan for jobs and robust growth. I'm pleased to announce that on April 19th at 4 p.m., the government will present Budget 2021. The United States calls on China to immediately release Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. China feels very, I think from what I've read of the place, uh, it takes these things as as humiliations. And uh, it's a country that has gone through a lot of humiliation by foreign uh, powers in the past. And they say they're not going to do that anymore. And Aaron O'Toole says the result of last week's convention vote on climate change should not taint Canadians' opinions of the Conservatives. I'm the leader, and this is an important issue facing Canadians. And we will have a serious and comprehensive plan on climate change and the environment in the next election. That is clear, and it's something our caucus supports. We can have a plan to reduce emissions while also making sure we support an economic recovery in all sectors of the country and in all regions of the country. It's Wednesday, March 24th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us. Well, good morning, Mark. Let's talk about the federal budget coming up on April the 19th, uh, after more than two years without a budget. Uh, what do you think about the government's decision to go ahead with one? I, they've, they've talked before about how difficult it is to make projections and predictions and forecasts in this climate uh, of a pandemic, but now they will. And is this part of a narrative that will set the stage perhaps for the next election, either this spring or this fall? Well, I, I guess to take the second part first, there, there's little doubt that, the, you know, the next major financial statement, uh, in this case it's a budget, the first in two years, you know, is going to set the stage or, or lay out a lot of the ideas and uh, conditions for the next election whenever that takes place. And, uh, I mean, we're all speculating, is it going to be this spring, is it going to be in the fall? Uh, you know, there's a fairly stable minority in place right now, and uh, the NDP um, has said that it is not going to try to topple the government while COVID-19 is still uh, dominating the sort of national discourse. And, and Mark, you know, Canada had 3,600 cases yesterday and still averaging 3,700 a day. So it's not exactly in the background yet. So uh, you know, I, I kind of, I still see the the current government as a as a fairly stable minority. Uh, but uh, in terms of its projections, I, I'm sure that's true. It must be really hard to project things where the economy is all over the map, and um, you know, you have pockets of bad uh, weakness in the economy. You want to be careful about uh, uh, stressing certain industries and certain economic sectors. Um, but, you know, this would not be the first time in Canadian history to have projections made in a budget that never come true. In fact, sure. uh, I think the exception would be uh, budget projections that actually do work out. <laughs> because, look, they're, they're, they're trying to look down the road. I mean, they're yeah. trying to look over the horizon to some extent. And Canada is not totally on its own. It's part of the world economy, and it has to take that into consideration. 
election. Yeah, that is the interesting thing about uh, the explanation for why we haven't had a budget in two years, the idea that it's difficult to predict the future. It's always difficult to predict the future, and you're always doing a forecast in, in, in a climate of uncertainty and, and with shifting ground and, and all of that. So um, what do you think, though, about the dynamics that this budget could create? Is it, is it going to set up some kind of standoff? Are there going to be debates about how much debt we can take on at this time, how much spending we can do, what's appropriate? Uh, what are some of the, the issues and debates that you think will arise from this budget? Well, I think that psychologically the pandemic shocked people so badly that they really were not sweating how much money the government was going to spend. I mean, let's face it, it's, uh, you know, uh, budgets and and, uh, debt and deficit are all theoretical things to the vast majority of voters. Um, You know, economists and politicians and, and policy analysts, of course, see it all differently. But, uh, you know, I, people are aware that we've had crises, crises in the past that the government has had to spend its way out of, and it didn't burden the country uh, unduly. Uh, you know, so, um, yes, in, in normal times, a focus on debt and deficit is definitely uh, a primary objective of government, but these are not ordinary times, and they're not ordinary yet by far. So um, these numbers are mind-boggling. They're very difficult for anyone to take on board. I mean, the you know the conservatives want to put a ceiling on the uh, you know the debt uh, a debt ceiling, so to speak. Uh, but it uh, it's going to be hard to do any of these things, and I don't see any of the other parties that have come up with uh, workable alternative approaches to the national finances at a time when, uh, you know, you're trying to keep everyone going, you're trying to keep people in their homes and, and, and their apartments, uh, you're trying to keep people working, and there's a lot more to be done. Um, uh, you know, Christian Freeland yesterday was, was talking about the uh, AAA credit rating the, company, the country still enjoys, and um, I don't know how reliable all the bond rating services are anymore, but they're still offering a lot of confidence in the Canadian economy. And um, so somehow we'll muddle through this. And um, But it is time to have a budget. You've got to have some kind of a plan, even if every part of the plan doesn't work out over the long term. All right, let's talk about Canada's relationship with China and to some extent, the U.S. Uh, involvement in uh, more recently in the effort to free Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. Uh, at the same time, of course, Canada has participated in a group of countries that have imposed sanctions on China because of the treatment of the Uyghur people. Um, so what's your sense of, of where things stand at the moment in this complex situation? Well, I don't think the two Michaels are are coming home anytime soon. I, it's you know very sad and regretful to say that because they're so such obvious hostages, um, and their fate is tied to the politics, which just seems to go in the wrong way in terms of their interests. Now, you know, uh, Canada and and quite a few of its you know close allied countries. I mean, the the Australians, New Zealand, USA. And the UK were all uh, condemning China for its mistreatment of its uh, Muslim minorities and uh, for its sort of horrible human rights record 
Um, and the Chinese, I think, fairly predictably, uh, are lashing out and, you know, saying we're going to pay a price and all that. Um, you know, so this is just getting worse at a lot of levels. I don't see any change at all in the Chinese uh, point of view. I mean, it may be more going on behind the scenes. But um, right now we're at the point of diplomacy where we're issuing uh, – you know, statements and uh, rhetorical blasts at each other. And, uh, you know, uh, China feels very, I think from what I've read of the place, uh, it takes these things as as humiliations. And uh, it's a country that has gone through a lot of humiliation by foreign uh, powers in the past. And they say they're not going to do that anymore. So, uh, uh, you know, as always, these things are going to get solved only by diplomacy and politics, Mark. And uh, right now, diplomacy and politics uh, are not making things better. It's actually getting more complicated. All right. And finally, Dan, let's talk about Aaron O'Toole. The conservative leader yesterday said, I'm in charge with regard to uh, the outcome of the policy convention on the weekend where he advocated uh, acknowledging that climate change is real, uh, but the party voted not to adopt a motion on that. So uh, he's pointing out that uh, a a fact in Canadian politics that he'll, uh, together with his team, set the agenda and set the policy platform for the party in the next federal election. Uh, But what do you think about the fact that he's had to assert that in the past 24 hours? Well, it's it's an indication uh, that they're obviously getting a, a bad reaction from the Canadian public and potential voters uh, that are outside this kind of right-wing base of the Conservative Party, you know, uh, and, and that want, you know, this, this large majority of Canadians who want action on climate change and who want measures to be taken, and they want careful, sensible measures to be taken uh, and not just to ignore it. And, I mean, this this resolution put Aaron O'Toole in a difficult spot. I mean, I, I guess to look at it in a positive way, if he is able to get hold of it and, and, and bring about a, a better policy uh, position for the party, then that will be a, a checkmark in, in his sort of... Um, uh, you know, portfolio of, of uh, qualities that would enable him to be a national uh, political leader and prime minister. But it, it's causing all kinds of problems. I mean, the, the, the Nova Scotia PC party, the progressive conservative opposition here, had to come out, the leader, Tim Houston, had to come out and say, no, no, that's not our party. We're, we're, we're you know, we recognize climate change. We, it's a different party, different leaders, different members, et cetera, that he was saying. So he was making quite a distinction between the Conservative Party in Nova Scotia and the National Party, at least at its convention. So this is probably happening in lots of places across the country. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes the Conservatives are their own worst enemies. And Aaron O'Toole is putting that out now. All right. Great stuff, Dan. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Okay. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. I'm the leader, and this is an important issue facing Canadians. And we will have a serious and comprehensive plan on climate change and the environment in the next election. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues, if Aaron O'Toole hopes to lead Canada, he will need to disappoint some of his closest friends. Mason writes... So far, there is little evidence to suggest O'Toole isn't just as much a captive of the resistance as his predecessor. 
and isn't just as vulnerable to the influence that these climate change dawdlers exert over the Conservative Party. O'Toole has a major decision to make. If he is serious about climate change and serious about meeting the targets set out in the Paris Climate Accord, then there isn't an option that doesn't include economic pain for someone. At National Newswatch, Don Lenahan and Andrew Balfour argue Aaron O'Toole's real problem is his party. They write, Conservatives may be in trouble, but they don't seem willing to do what they must to turn things around. The stark lesson from last week's convention is that the real problem is with the base, not the leader. In O'Toole's view, there's only one way Conservatives can win the next election, move toward the centre. And on that count, his convention speech pretty much said the right things. As for rallying the base, not so much. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt asks if the Liberals will be able to hold on to the GTA in the next election. Delacourt writes, While the GTA is always an important battleground in federal elections, several developments during the pandemic have made it even more of a hot property during the next campaign. If the Liberals are to be shaken out of power, opposition parties need to make a dent in that solid red stronghold. All the ways in which the pandemic has changed Canada threaten to make the Toronto battleground harder to call and maybe harder to win in 2019 than it was in 2015 for all of the parties. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend the Liberal caucus meeting and question period. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller and Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan will take part in a news conference to provide an update on COVID-19. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference following the NDP's virtual caucus meeting. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will speak before the Chamber of Commerce of Metropolitan Montreal. And Minister of Seniors Deb Schulte will announce funding from the New Horizons for Seniors program to support a project with the Vaughan Community Health Centre. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, March 24th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.